It's number two. There we go. So you guys are getting used to this two minutes of greeting and then everybody coming back together. I didn't even have to say anything. So um, just a couple of very quick announcements. We have our new um, handouts that we're doing, like bulletins, and on there is a Connect card. So if you are new to us this morning, please, please fill that out and turn it in at our guest desk, and there is a gift for you. Um, if you fill that out and turn it back into us, and I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy that lovely gift on this nice Easter morning. And then the last, second thing is that there's um, three ways to give. So we give... There's a brand new box and there's a shout out to Jerry Densmore back in the corner. He made us a new giving box. Yay. So if you want to give in person, you can just pop it into that beautiful wood box. You can also give online or you can use the old-fashioned snail mail and mail your giving in. Um, and we're going to just keep the announcements to those two items this morning. So I just invite you to pray with me as we um, continue in our service this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful Easter Sunday. And Lord, you know that we've come from all situations and all walks of life. We thank you that you've gathered us here. We just ask that you would focus our minds, focus our hearts. Help us to um, just be ready for what you have for us. We know that you come through your Holy Spirit to meet with us this morning and that you bring your gifts as we offer ourselves to you. We pray that you would help us to dialogue with you. It's not a monologue from us to you or from you to us. Help us to listen. Help us to pour out our hearts before you, that this would be a real time of rejoicing for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. In the beginning was the Word, the Son of God, whom we call Jesus Christ. He was with God in the beginning, for He is God. For God is family. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this divine triunity, three persons, eternally Loving, honoring, and serving one another. None exalting themselves. None seeking status for themselves. No, there is no selfishness in God. God is a divine dance of three people delighting in each other. At his very essence of existence, God is a relationship of perfect peace and joy, unity and love. God is love. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Through him, all things were created. There is nothing that has been created. That was not made by him. In the beginning, the world was formless and empty and dark. And God spoke into the cold chaos of darkness and said, let there be light. And there was light and warmth and life. 
No longer formless, the earth grew mountains and valleys and oceans and rivers. No longer empty, the earth bore forth trees and grasses and, and birds and fish and reptiles and animals. And it was all good. And then God said, let us make humankind, man and woman, in our image, so that they may rule over the creatures. And God made them, man and woman, in his image. And it was very good. And then God rested. And we rested with him in the paradise of earth. But we were not content. We were not content to be with God and to rule over the creatures. No, we wanted to rule over ourselves. We wanted to rule over one another. And so we broke away from God. But the problem is, in Him is life. And that life is the light to all humankind. Be unplugged from God. If you are a lamp and you unplug from your source of energy, what happens? You go dark. When you unplug from your source of life, what happens? You die. Apart from the source of life, there is only death. Apart from the source of life, there is only darkness. Apart from the creator who gives design, there is only chaos. And so we unplugged from God. And we fell into death and darkness and chaos. But even though we rejected him, God could not stay away. Love could not stay away. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and he taught us crazy things. Like to love our neighbor and to love our enemies even. To bless those who persecute us. He taught us how to live as God lives. Nothing less. God the Father... Loving the Son and the Spirit with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that sound familiar? The Son loving the Father and the Spirit with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Spirit loving the Son and the Father, each one loving their neighbor as themselves. That is what Jesus taught us. To live exactly as God lives. He came to teach us how to live because we don't know. We don't know. The things we strive after don't give life. We say we want unity, but somehow we only become more divided. Have you noticed that? We say we want success, but we only become more stressed. The pursuit of pleasure is not true living. True living is what God does. 
that eternal dance, that being in a relationship of people just loving and honoring and serving one another. That's true life. That's joy. And that's what Jesus came to invite us into. He came and he taught us how to live by gathering this group of followers who he verbally taught lessons, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He taught them those things, they recorded those things, they passed it down to us. But he also taught them by how he lived, by his actions. And the night before he died, he grabbed a towel and he washed the sandaled feet of his disciples. And they were astonished. Leaders don't wash the stinky, dirty feet of their followers. When have you ever seen one of our leaders do that? And so they protested, but he said, no, no. I'm setting an example for you. And they said, well, we, we will follow you anywhere. They swore their allegiance to him. We'll follow you to the ends of the earth. We'll follow you to the grave. And he said, no, you won't. One of you will betray me. The rest of you will abandon me. And he washed their feet anyway. And he spoke encouraging words to them. And then he led them to a garden where he fell on his face and cried out to God. And in crying out to God, he found the courage and strength to withstand the next 24 hours of hell. In the next 24 hours, he would be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He would be falsely accused, beaten, stripped, mocked, whipped, and nailed. Nailed to a tree. He allowed himself to be condemned and punished for our wrongdoing. And while he hung there, having been abandoned by his friends and physically and verbally abused by everyone else, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Loving his neighbor. And then he gave up his spirit. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 27. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I hear flipping. I'll help you out. I'm at verse 51. Matthew 27, verse 51. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top all the way to the bottom. 
The curtain that separated God from his people, it was torn in two. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself been a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he boldly asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took that mutilated body, and he wrapped it in clean linen cloth. And placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance and the tomb and went away. The women were still watching. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite of the tomb. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, uh, we remember that while he was still alive, this deceiver said... That after three days I will rise from the tomb. So give an order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body. And tell people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. (laughs) Wouldn't be good enough. So they went and made a tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, the day of rest, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see. See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you, go. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Delirious, I think might be a good word. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Hi. (laughs) He said, your Bible might say greetings, but in the Greek, it's just hi, you know. 
Sometimes we make Jesus so formal. Um, Hi. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What is noticeably absent from Matthew's account are the male disciples. It's the women who watch his crucifixion and give us that eyewitness account. It's the women who watch his body being taken down and prepared for burial and buried. And it's the women who go back to that tomb to anoint his body with spices. Where are the men? It's interesting because Mark's gospel say the women, as they were going to the tomb, are like, who's going to roll away the stone for us? They knew they couldn't do it. Where were the men? They were hiding. They were afraid to be associated with Jesus. They were afraid they would be arrested and crucified. And so it's women who are the first to witness Jesus' resurrection, and it's women who are the first ones he sends to preach the good news of his resurrection. But what about the men? What did Jesus say to them? What message did he have for them? Did he tell the woman, go tell those cowards they better come here and apologize? <laughs> no. He called them brothers. He said, go tell my brothers I'm alive and to meet me in Galilee. It was an instant family reunion. It was instant forgiveness. He forgave them while they were still cowering afraid to be associated with him. And that's how it always works with God. The forgiveness comes first. God forgives so we can repent. Sometimes we get it messed up in our heads and we think we have to clean ourselves up so we can come to God and he can forgive us. That's not the way it works. God goes and finds us and he forgives us. And it's that forgiveness that allows us to turn to him. To turn from the chaos of our lives because his goodness and forgiveness is there. We've got something good to turn to. Jesus finds the women, and then when they go tell the disciples, the male disciples, um, the men aren't sure whether or not to believe them. And so then Jesus goes and he finds the men. I want to read to you from Luke 24. I'll have it on the screen for you. Luke 24. This is the male disciples, and they're still talking about these appearances of Jesus, and they're not sure whether or not to believe While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking he was a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
And while they were still, <laughs> I love this sentence, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Have you ever been there? Like something so good, you're like, I don't believe it. I don't know. Like I think of like team winning buzzer beaters and March Madness. Like I don't believe it. Okay. They still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. And so he has like, hey, do you guys have anything to eat? <laughs> and they gave him a piece of royal fish and he took it, he ate it in their presence. Jesus comes to us. He finds us and he offers forgiveness to us. And this new life that he offers, it is spiritual life, it's relational life, and it's physical life. We have to understand all three. Spiritual life, the disciples are reunited with God. When we come to Jesus, when we turn to him, he gives us his spirit. And we are reconciled to God. That spiritual life happens instantly. But his spirit then begins to teach us the right way to live, to live as the triune God lives, in that eternal loving relationship. And it breathes relational life to us. These disciples, they go from being scared and confused and divided to being one bold family. That nothing can break up. That's relational life. But he also gives us physical life. Jesus did not come back as a ghost. He came back as a physical person with a real body. And he promises that one day he will rise us from the grave just as he was risen from the grave and give us a real body. This is one of the things that um, separates Christianity from other religions. Other religions view the material, the physical, as, as being corrupt. And so you, you try to get rid of it. You, and you try to reach the, the spiritual plane. Right? You become enlightened. Or some religions, they just teach that the material, the physical, it's temporary. So it's meaningless. It's not meaningless to God. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. That world that God loves, that's his enemies. That's you and me. Those who have rejected him. But that world that he loves, it's also the earth. It's the dirt. It's the trees. It's the bird. It's all of it. And so he's coming back to redeem all of it. And that's the promise. My friends, if you believe in Jesus, he'll give you his spirit. And you'll have spiritual life. And his spirit will grow in you the fruit of the spirit to live like God lives. With joy and peace and patience and kindness and love. But that is not all. He is coming back again, not just to save you and I, but to save this world. And he is going to recreate it. In the words of Dr. Timothy Keller, 
God's promise is to restore ordinary life. The goodness of ordinary life. That's what he promises. Hugs, sitting around campfires, eating good food. Eternal life is not sitting in a cloud and heaven playing a harp. That is not even in the Bible. (laughs) The promise of good eternal life is the promise of restoration of ordinary life. To be good as we know it should be good. If you believe in him, he will start that process of restoring the goodness of ordinary life now. He'll start it now. He'll start redeeming your life. And he will keep working for that good until one day when he comes back and he restores all things. Um, Not many of you know my family history. You know that I, I was raised a pastor's kid. But ten years before I was born, my family was not Christians. Um, my family, we were actually steeped in the occult. We were steeped in chaos and darkness. There are few horrors that were not experienced by the previous two generations of my family. There were multiple murders, rape, incest, missing persons, homelessness, insanity, I mean, addictions, you name it, it was there in my family, getting passed down from one generation to the next generation. My family history reads like a bad crime novel. And then about 10 years before I was born, the light of life, Jesus Christ, broke through to my father. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then he led his parents and his siblings to the Lord. And our family history, our family legacy was reborn. We were given new life. And when I look at the family my parents grew up in, and I look at the family I grew up in, and then I look at the family my kids are growing up in, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And every day, I have these moments where I'm just like sitting, reading, or doing something in my house, and I'm just... perfect guys we're not but we enjoy peace and when there's not peace there's a lot of forgiveness and we have abundant joy and I thank God that none of my kids have experienced the horrors that were getting passed down from generation to generation in my family until Jesus Christ broke through and gave us new life 
My friends, sometimes we doubt the power of God to save because we don't see the instant results, and that's all we're looking for. When we give our lives to Christ, He will give us His Spirit. But healing relationships, breaking our bondage to things we're enslaved to, that takes time. And when I look at my life over the years, and I look at my family's life over the generations, there is no doubt that God has pulled us. He has pulled me. From the chaos in the dark. And I know he's still pulling me. And it's um it's not a smooth journey, guys. To be pulled from the chaos and dark into God's goodness and to let him recreate you back into his image. It's not a smooth journey, it's a bumpy ride, but I'll tell you it's a good ride. And my life And my children's and my family's life is far better off because of it. And even though our lives aren't perfect, and this world is not perfect, I know one day it will be. Because he loves this world. And he's coming back for it. To restore it. Jesus' promise of new and eternal life is for all who believe in him. He doesn't force himself on anyone. If we want to stay in the chaos and dark, he will let us. And you might be thinking, well, who would want to stay in the chaos and the darkness? And Like, who would choose that? My friends, apart from God, everything is chaos and darkness. Our world was chaos and darkness until God said, let there be light. He's the source of light. He's the source of life. He's the source of the good creative design. And the further you go from that, the more you descend into the chaos and in the uncreation, the destruction of it. And so Jesus comes to us, but when he comes to us and he finds us and he starts knocking on our heart's door and extending that forgiveness, calling us his brothers and sisters, we have a choice to make. We have to open the door and let him in. And trust him to recreate us, to make us new. So many people, they they want the new life. They want that peace and they want that joy and okay, eternity sounds good too. They want that, but they want to keep Jesus at a distance, like an arm's length away. It doesn't work. Because it's the distance that causes the chaos. It's the distance that causes the death. The only way to get the new light is to let him in. My family, we couldn't be set free while we were still holding on to the occult and the things we were in bondage to. 
We have to let him in and give him permission to recreate us. In a few minutes, we are going to be baptizing people. The opportunity to be baptized is open to everyone today. We have um, lots of dark t-shirts in all sizes and towels. We came prepared. (laughs) But baptism is the act of believing in Jesus for new life. It's not just the mental believing of like, yeah, okay, I believe in Jesus. No, baptism is the active believing. And baptism, when we go down in the water, we're identifying with Jesus' death when he went down into the tomb. And we're saying, I want to die to my old way of life, of being separated from God. And when we come up, we are identifying with Jesus' resurrection that we believe that he is going to raise us to new life as well. He's faithful to do it. And we receive his spirit in baptism. The spirit that gives us spiritual life. The spirit that in the course of time breeds more and more relational life in us. And the spirit that one day will rise us from the dead and give us that physical, eternal life, the goodness of ordinary life that we always wanted. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you that your plan to restore is grand, is big. That you you gave us this earth to live on and to be our home. And you don't call us away from it. You call us to a new life in a new earth. We thank you that you care for things. Like the birds and the fish and having campfires and eating with us. God, we thank you for the goodness of ordinary life. And God, I pray and I thank you that you forgive us. For in our own way, we have all turned away from you. All of us have had times when we thought we could do better without you. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to the reality of life and death. To the reality of your light and life and love and the reality of what lies beyond it and apart from it. May we choose you. You've already chosen us, God. Work in our hearts to choose you. And God, we pray now that you'll sanctify these waters. And for those coming to be baptized, God, we thank you. And we pray that you fill them with your spirit. That they will have assurance of their salvation. 
And we know your spirit will work powerfully in them. And we pray now for that good fruit of peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. God, we pray for that fruit to be born in them. And we thank you for our hope of new life with you eternally. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.